we split up during the auction because I was wandering around, look at the babies, and you were, I don't know where you were, but I made you promise me that you would not bid on bison. Well, you could fit one in the in the bed of a pickup truck. You could fit a little one, mm-hmm. you know, just talk them into sitting down while, or, you know, laying down while we drove, you know, a thousand miles back to Seattle. So, <laughs> so I, they, they made an announcement that a line is forming, bring your credit card. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I grabbed the sheet of paper that listed all the animals. They had them all numbered. They had their ages, weights. I grabbed that sheet and I had my credit card. And for a little while, I was in line. You wanted to, to have a, a bison I, in I, our backyard. I'm, This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're switching gears, and instead of talking about national parks, we're going to be discussing some of our favorite state parks. State parks may not have a reputation for being as glamorous as national parks, but they're an incredibly valuable part of our public land system. Like national parks, state parks protect our country's treasures, whether it's geological wonders or wildlife or historical sites or preserving an area where people can go to recreate or perhaps to find some solitude. With more than 10,000 state parks across the country, it wasn't easy narrowing our list down to only six. In this episode, we'll talk about why these parks are some of our favorites. We have a lot on the schedule today. I know. Our resolution to keep these topics rather brief seems to have gone out the window. <laughs> yeah, the, the notes that you put together don't seem to be getting any shorter. <laughs> well, there's just so much to talk about. I don't want to miss anything good. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today. Mm-hmm. We are doing something a little bit different. You know, when we first started traveling to all the national parks, that would kind of was our thing, national parks. And, and we didn't go to national monuments or other places of interest around the national parks. And since we have started doing national monuments and we found a ton of great state parks. A lot of hidden gems out there. Right. So mm-hmm. since kind of since we completed that trip and we continue to travel, man, there's a lot of great state parks out there. So we're going to do some episodes on state parks, but there's too many to do in, in one episode. So we, we're just going to start with some of our favorites in this episode. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably... I don't know. We'll probably do a second state park episode, maybe a third. And you know what's interesting is we've heard from a lot of people over the past year, since everyone has been staying closer to home, people have decided to visit all the state parks in their home state, which I think is a really great thing to do. That's what you want to do now. Yeah, we should do that. I looked it up, though. I didn't realize Washington State has so many. They have 156 state parks. And gosh, I don't even think we've been to a third of them. We haven't. We've been to some of them. And Uh and they're 
fantastic. They are. We don't have any Washington State Parks in this episode, though. No, that will be on part two. There are some great ones, but we didn't want to be partial to our home state. (laughs) (laughs) So, which we typically are because we have so many great public lands here. So we'll we'll include some Washington ones on our next go round. Okay, so what is your favorite, if you had to choose a favorite state park that we visited, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I think it might be Custer State Park in South Dakota because it has it has everything. It has wildlife, it has beautiful scenery, and it has some really great hiking. It is one of the state parks that we went to, probably the closest that felt like a national park. Yes. And it's also in the area with other national park units. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's the, the Black Hills are incredible. Custer is close to the city of Rapid City, South Dakota, down in the southwest corner of the state. It's about, depending on traffic, 30 to 45 minutes from Rapid City. And it's also about the same distance from Mount Rushmore. Right, along with some other um, incredible national park sites. I mean, you could go to Custer and spend at least two weeks seeing all the other things there are to do there as well. Wind Cave is adjacent to it to the south. Mm -hmm. Jewel Cave, that's Mm -hmm. another national park unit a little bit to the west. So yeah, that whole Black Hills area is incredible. It is incredible. Uh, Now, Custer State Park is big. I think it's one of the biggest ones we're going to talk about today, 71,000 acres. And I, I always think of Custer as two separate areas, right? And we'll talk about those. So you have the place where the bison hang out, that general area. And then you have to the north of there, you have the kind of the Sylvan Lake area. It does kind of feel like two parks, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? So let's talk about where the visitor center is and the wildlife loop and the bison, that area first. All right, let's talk about that. <laughs> that wildlife loops, well, it's an 18-mile loop through the park, and often you find the bison in the south. I don't know why they hang out in the south. I know when they, they round them up in the fall, that's where they take them in the south. I guess during the rest of the year, they could be just, just about anywhere, but we've always kind of found them in the south. Now, one thing, you can go to the visitor center and find out where the wildlife sightings have been recently. And so here's a pro, here's a pro tip for you. It took us a while to figure this out. But in that visitor center, there's a big table map. And when I say table map, it's, it's a huge table map of the park. And they put these plastic bison on top of the map where they are currently. Because so many visitors ask mm-hmm. the volunteers there, where are the bison in? So that they don't have to answer that question like a million times a day. They just, that's where the bison are. Right. And take note of where they are and do not ask the volunteer ranger, where are the bison today? <laughs> like I did, because you're likely to to have a harsh reply. <laughs> just look at the map and you she will snapped see. At you. She snapped at me. Yeah. <laughs> she was Wave, not happy that waved, I asked her that. <laughs> waved her clipboard at you. That's right. Look at the plastic bison. They're over there. <laughs> Remember you said you were going to bring like a, I, we have little plastic animals like. I was like going to bring a bear. I was going to bring a polar bear. bear, grizzly bear, polar bear, <laughs> and then just put them on there. Now they probably have cameras. They probably that's do. Okay. <laughs> so if y'all ever go, see, I worked in y'all there. Uh-huh. If y'all ever go to the visitor center at Custer and you see a grizzly bear or a polar bear on that big table map, just know that there really aren't any well, in the park. <laughs> never, you never know. They, they, could, they could be mine. 
That's we got right. we got to go back to Custer State Park. We do. We've soon. been many times, and we've stayed in different places. One great place to stay, a historic lodge there, is called the State Game Lodge, and we stayed there, and that was really nice. It was nice, and it's it's historic in the sense that it was the summer was the summer White House for Calvin Coolidge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stories we've read is he was not terribly interested in the. The responsibilities of being a president. He just wanted to go fishing (laughs) all summer long. And so he would stay there, go fishing. And if the reporters wanted to ask him any questions, they had to like put on hip waders and go out in the river and ask him questions. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure he loved it as much as we do. Now, driving to the other section of the park, if you're there basically April through October, the Needles Highway should be open, and that is an incredible thing to do. It's a beautiful drive, and and just the drive going up there, seeing the the views from the highway, going through the tunnels, that's pretty cool. But it also takes you to an, a, another interesting part of the park, mm-hmm. that area up by Sylvan Lake. Now, the Needles Highway is about 14 miles and the reason it's called the Needles Highway is because there are these incredible granite spire rock formations that look like needles that are along the the side of the road as you're traveling. Absolutely beautiful. And as Matt had said, there are a couple of tunnels. The Needles Eye Tunnel is only eight feet four inches wide. So it's a little bit of a tight squeeze. <laughs> so needless to say, traffic can only go one in one direction. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to take turns and be courteous, let, letting the cars come the other way for a while. And another pro tip, go early in the morning because yes. the traffic can be uh, pretty hectic. And then mm-hmm. we've done it early in the morning and have still run into other cars, but, n- but not that many. And also... When you go through the Needles Eye Tunnel, take a good look at the rock cliff edges above it because we've seen mountain goats up there uh, sticking their cute little heads over looking down. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a beautiful drive. And as Matt had said, it takes you to the Sylvan Lake area. Sylvan Lake is one of the most beautiful lakes I've ever seen. Yeah, it's dammed up at one end, and so it forms this incredible mountain lake, which you can hike around. It also has the trailhead for Harney Peak or Black Elk Peak. They changed the name to Black Elk Peak, but there's a lot of old maps out there that call it Harney Peak. And that's a great hike. That's one of our favorite hikes. Uh, it takes you up to this historic stone fire tower lookout. It's about seven and a half miles. There are a couple different trailheads you can start at, so the mileage can vary a little bit. Not terribly hard, but boy, you climb up there and the views from that fire tower were incredible. Incredible views. Really an unusual mountaintop destination, unlike a lot of the peak destinations we've been on other hikes. So that's that's a really great hike if you're in the area. There are some other great hikes down by the lake as well. We did a hike called Sunday Gulch that I loved. But when we did it, I think it was early June, and they had just reopened that trail. And I think they had a lot of rain earlier. And essentially, the runoff was causing the lake to overflow and it's only the lake is only going to go up so far because there's a dam at one end and so the water was overflowing the dam and just cascading <laughs> through this area that is Sunday Gulch Trail and so the all the stone stairs as you go down the creek and kind of into this ravine 
it was essentially a waterfall. We were walking through a waterfall. Yeah. It was very cool. I yeah. mean, it was probably up to our knees. We were just splashing and, through it. Yeah, and in some places, it was mm-hmm. ankle to knee deep. We have some good videos of that. Yeah. We'll put those mm-hmm. on the on the website. But that was a lot of fun. And Bob and Sue, our friends who are real, they were actually with us on that trip. We try to meet up once a year in a park, and we had met up in Custer, and so we were doing that hike with them. Yeah, and we were with Bob and Sue. We went to Mount Rushmore, which is not far from Sylvan Lake. Mm-hmm. We also stayed at a really nice family-owned cabin in the in Hill City, which is not that far from the Sylvan Lake area, and uh, th- that was a lot of fun. Yeah, there is so much to do there. We took a historic train ride out of Hill City. The list is endless, so it, it will probably take multiple trips to s- actually see everything there is and do everything there is to do in the Black Hills. And you know, before we go on to the next state park. Something that I read that I think is just fascinating is that this whole area that's the Black Hills, it had originally been made part of the Sioux Indian Reservation back in 1868. They signed the Fort Laramie Treaty, but then they discovered gold in the Black Hills and the the government basically just let people overrun the area. And so there was this controversy for you know, a century as to who really owned the land and it belonged to the, the Sioux thought it belonged to them. And, and this is what's so interesting. In 1980, the Supreme Court decided that, yes, the Sioux owned that land. It was taken from them illegally. And so I don't know the exact wording of the, of the ruling, but it's basically said, look, we're going to award the Sioux what was it, $100, $100 million mm-hmm, of, of compensation for mm-hmm. the land. And this is what's interesting is the Sioux said, nope, <laughs> we're going to refuse payment. We don't want money. We want the land back. They thought that if they accepted the money, it would be like they had sold the land. It would be a financial transaction. And they said the land is not for sale. And so what happened next they are now accruing a liability on the books, the United States government, of that payment. It's now worth over a billion dollars. They owe the Sioux over a billion dollars, and, and they're, they're still refusing payment. So that's it, it's a really interesting historic, and, and not even historic because it's ongoing, aspect of the whole Black Hills area. And that's right. And when I looked at the map of the Fort Laramie Treaty, what land was given to the Sioux Indians, it was half of the state of South Dakota. It was the western half of the entire state, and it went up into North Dakota and it went over into Wyoming, and it went down into Nebraska, a huge swath of land. So if you think about our National Park Service sites that are all over the Black Hills, from the Badlands all the way over to Jewel Cave, that technically is on land that was given to the Sioux Indians. Right. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to the next state park. And we are not choosing state parks by their name. <laughs> Although it, it might just, seem like that. just so happens that the next state park we're going to talk about is Jedediah Smith Redwood State Park in California. Now, this is right at the northern tip of California by the coast. Um, mm-hmm. It's about a 10,000 acre park. And up there where there's the Redwood National Park and Redwood State Park, there's several parks and they're kind of all managed together. 
Right. They're managed by the National Park Service and the California State Parks. So Jedediah Smith Redwoods is the furthest north of of these Redwood public lands, and it's up by Crescent City. Now, that's where we've stayed when we have visited the park. Yeah, the park is essentially like a suburb of Crescent City. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right, it's it's right there. And there is a drive that we suggest you take through the park, Howland Hill Road. Now, it's a pretty narrow drive. We we did this in an SUV years ago, and there were a couple of spots where we just <laughs> just made it down the road in in terms of squeezing through trees. And that Howland Hill Road is an interesting drive through the park. It's absolutely beautiful. It's just, um, like Matt said, it's narrow and winding, and these giant redwood trees line the road. As a matter of fact, Jedediah Smith State Park has 7% of all the old-growth redwoods that are left in the world. And in that park, one of our favorite hikes, because it's the only hike we've done in (laughs) Jedediah Smith, is the Boy Scout Trail. And I remember it being... I remember feeling small in there. We have several photos where I've taken pictures of a redwood. And if you just look at the photo, you think, well, that it looks like a big tree. But then you are in the picture and you're little teeny tiny down at the you know bottom corner. And you get a sense of just how massive these trees are. The redwoods are the tallest trees in the world, right? Didn't we discuss this on another podcast episode? We, we did, yeah. And so that if you're going into that park and you want to do something more than just a drive through it, that's our suggestion, that Boy Scout trail. That's right. Now, what is still on my list in that little Jedediah Smith is, uh, so back in 1998, People had started finding this, um, these trees, this grove of trees called the Grove of Titans. People found it and they started sharing it online and on social media. And apparently this grove of titans contains some of the largest and oldest redwoods on earth. So people, as they found it, they created a lot of social trails up to this grove. So now... Now the Park Service is making an official trail. They started in 2019. They're making a 1,300-foot-long elevated walkway through the Grove of Titans uh, so that people can come and visit it without making new social trails and damaging, uh, damaging the landscape. So the last thing I read was that this project is supposed to be finished in May of 2021. I don't know if they're still on track, but that is on my list to go see these giant trees in the Grove of Titans. Yeah, well- We'll have to do that the next time we're in that area. We'll have to get back to Jedediah Smith. We will, for sure. And as we said, the other units of the park, Prairie Creek Redwood State Park and the parts of the National Park in the Redwoods are all fantastic, but don't miss this uh, little Jedediah Smith. Okay, let's move on to the next state park, which is Antelope Island State Park in Utah. Now, I want to mention that sometimes people confuse Antelope Island with Antelope Canyon, also in the Southwest, Antelope Canyon is a different place. It's Mm -hmm. actually in Arizona by Page, Arizona. It's super cool. We'll do an episode on that someday. But no, this is Antelope Island. It's close to Salt Lake City. It's actually just north of Salt Lake City, about an hour from downtown. And the thing that is so cool about this is entire island in the Great Salt Lake 
and the whole thing's a state park. That's right. And you know, I loved this park so much more than I thought I would. I don't know. I, I had pictured it since it's right next to this huge metropolitan area of Salt Lake City. I don't know. I just had pictured it differently. And it was like stepping into, I don't even know how to describe a different time. it. Like a different yeah, like, time, like, a different place. Like the wild, wild west. Yeah. Almost. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought the same, that maybe it would have an urban feel right. to it. It's You feel like you're in the middle of nowhere when you're out there. That's right. So you drive across a causeway to get there. You do not have to take a boat to the island. And what? We looked it up. It's the largest island in the Great Salt Lake, about 42 square miles. So it's it's pretty good size. Yeah. If you look at it on Google Maps, it looks like it's a peninsula. It's connected to the mainland, but actually it isn't. It is truly an island. You drive across a causeway. It's also a great place. People love to skateboard on that causeway because it's really long and it's perfectly flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but we went there one one time to see the bison. That's right. So there's a bison herd there, which is, seems kind of odd, doesn't it? <laughs> and the bison have been there for quite a while. They, they came in 1893. John Dooley, the owner, actually owned the island back then, brought 12 bison. This was at the time when the bison were almost extinct. So there were a lot of private individuals at the time who were aware of this. And so they were they were grabbing up bison and, and creating these small private herds as quick as they could to save the species. And that, so this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So we went to see the bison auction. Now, the Roundup is a different weekend. I believe it's, what, two weeks earlier? And we couldn't do both. So we, we went to see the auction, which was really fun. It is a lot of fun. They have to round up the bison each year because the bison aren't natural to that island and there are no predators. So there's nothing eating the bison. There's nothing killing the bison. And the herd would just get so big that then it would start causing the bison to be under pressure because they would be competing for for food and all of that. So the the state park now manages the herd down to a certain level. And it's, it's several hundred mm-hmm. animals. So they herd them all together in the fall and they give them a health check and vaccinate the newborns, the ones that have been born in the in the last year. And, of course, they call them because the population's growing so fast. They have to. Otherwise, they would all starve. There's not enough food. So I know some people think that it's sad or inhumane that they have these auctions and sell them off, but it's for the health and safety of the herd. You know, like you said, there's the actual roundup where they – go out with horses and bring them all in. That's that's one weekend. We were there the weekend where they were auctioning off the animals that they weren't releasing back. And they have these pens where they they put the certain animals in, in each pen. Sometimes they put the yearlings together three or four at a time, and then the older ones are in a separate pen each. Well, you can walk right up to the pens, and it's one of the only times you can get that close to a bison. because Safely. <laughs> sa- safely, because in the wild, they'll attack you. But if you're standing two feet from them on the other side of a big pen, they're not going to get you. Although it does sometimes feel like it. Oh, my gosh. Because they charged us. They did. They were getting agitated by all the people walking by, and they were not happy. Uh, again, I think we have some video maybe we can yeah, post we of do. these. And all of a sudden, they're looking at you straight in the eye, and and, and then they start running at you. Pawing at the ground <laughs> and charging. And, and yeah, it, it was even being on the mm-hmm. other side of, of the pen, 
It was a little startling the first few times they charged us. Uh huh. So I remember, Matt, that they made an announcement at the auction that so usually people bring their trailers and they they bid on the bison and when they win they load the bison into into their trailer and they take them away that day but they made an announcement saying that they wouldn't be releasing the bison for another week or two so the winners would have to come back oh yeah and all of a sudden i saw your face light up and you said karen we could rent a big trailer and come back and pick up a bison right. if we bid we'll on just, one and we win <laughs> just call the hampton inn tell them we're staying for a week Right. Go to go to U-Haul, get a bison, because we get to the auction, and I'm thinking that it's you know only for professional ranchers or people that, that maybe have signed up or registered uh, long before the auction. But no, you can just go up. They they made an announcement that a line is forming. Bring your credit card mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. I grabbed the sheet of paper that listed all the animals. They had them all numbered. They had their ages, weights, their gender. So so when the auction starts, you know what you're bidding on. And like I grabbed that sheet and I had my credit card. And for a little while, I was in line. <laughs> you wanted to, to have a bison a, in I, our backyard. <laughs> I'm, I wanted to get a paddle. <laughs> because when I looked at the sheet... Those yearlings, the ones that had been born in like April of that mm-hmm. year, they were only three to four hundred pounds. They were cute. You could put a three to four hundred pound animal in a U-Haul trailer. Uh-huh. A couple. You could put a couple in there. Of course, the problem is they get big <laughs> pretty fast. Well, you would have a little time to figure that out. We were talking to the manager there. And fortunately, the thing that saved me is that he told us that in order to have a bison in our backyard, we would have to have a very strong industrial fence put up. Well, he looked he looked us up and down, which, which I... Uh, I <laughs> I would have done the same thing if I were. And he saw that we had hiking boots on, not cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And so he was going to give me the big brother talk. He right. was like, here's what you need. He said, do you, do you have a fence? Which we didn't. But I think I said, yeah, oh, yeah, we have a fence. And he said, well, you know, you, need, you really need a fence made out of well pipe. Because well pipe is stronger than normal fence post, and you have to do it a certain way. He said, they'll just go right through a barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. So he was discouraging me, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's they have it every year. We could go back. Mm-hmm. We split up during the auction because I was wandering around looking at the babies, and you were, I don't know where you were, but I made you promise me that you would not bid on bison. <laughs> well, you could fit one in the in the bed of a pickup truck. You could fit a little one, mm-hmm. you know, just talk them into sitting down while, or, you know, laying down while we drove, you know, a thousand miles back to Seattle. So, <laughs> so I, we decided that uh, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we would think about it for a while. Oh, that's right. Well, and if you're not bison geeks like we are, there are plenty of other things to do on Antelope Island. I would like to go back. So when we were there, it was early November. I would like to go back when the weather's warm and actually swim in the Great Salt Lake because I heard that because of the salt content, you actually float. So I could be floating out there, belly up. You could, you could do that. You could float. Uh, that's the other kind of big attraction to the, the park. 
we found out just inadvertently because we had we went the night before just to see what the park was like, and the sunsets are incredible. Oh my gosh! And the way the sunset is reflected on the Salt Lake is like nothing we've ever seen before because it's kind of a cloudy reflection. And honestly, at that, there were points we couldn't tell the lake from the sky. It was all this incredible shimmer of colors, and it was really spectacular. Yeah, so those are the big attractions. Sunset, mm-hmm. floating belly up. <laughs> bison. And, and buying a bison. <laughs> yeah, there's hiking trails and biking trails. So something there for are. everybody right. at yeah. Antelope Island. Yeah. Also in the state of Utah... One of our favorite state parks is Goblin Valley. Mm-hmm. The cuteness factor of Goblin Valley is off the charts. It is it is a <laughs> wild scene when you get to the valley with all the goblins. That's right. Now, we should say where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere, actually. It is in the uh, middle of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. next to nowhere. That's right. It's about 35 minutes from Hanksville, the tiny town of Hanksville. And it's about a half an hour south of I-70, kind of in the south center of the state. There's this swell of land, San Rafael Swell. And so what happened is the land uplifted. And so millions of years later, as the wind and the rain has eroded the edges of it, it's created all of these really spectacular uh, slot canyons. Mm -hmm. And at the edge of kind of that Rafael Swell is where Goblin Valley is. One thing I liked about Goblin Valley, well, I liked a lot of things, but you're free to wander throughout the park. You don't have to stay on a trail. As a matter of fact, there aren't very many trails. You you walk down into this valley of the goblins, and then you just wander amongst them. And these goblins are anywhere from about three feet tall to, gosh, what, maybe 20 feet tall? They're all different sizes. And the way the goblins have formed, they're kind of for lack of better description, almost like mushroom-shaped rock formations. Well, there's there's harder rock on top, and the layer below is softer, so the wind and, and water has eroded the softer rock more quickly. And so you get this mushroom-shaped rock formation, and they're everywhere mm-hmm. uh, for, what, 10,000 acres of... That's right. A park. 10,000 acres. So it's fairly small um, as as parks go, but it is as charming as could be. Uh, Now, they also have a campground there. And in the campground, they have, what, two yurts there? The campground was really well taken care of, Mm -hmm. paved roads, paved paths. And then, yeah, there are two yurts there. And, And we just, by happenstance, one time when we were visiting the park, there was a crew from the Department of Natural Resources, a crew that was doing some repairs on the yurts. Mm-hmm. I think they were putting new windows and um, getting them ready for the season. And we went up to one of them and the crew saw us and they invited us in and we were able to look around and they were telling us all about it. And they're really cool. We'd like to stay in one sometime. We sure would. So they have bunk beds inside. They have a futon couch. There is heating and air conditioning, and uh, it's really charming. I would love to stay in there. They're very popular, so I think they're hard to get because I think they are reserved very quickly ahead of time. Now, Goblin Valley State Park itself, I don't think it's big enough to do multiple days of activities, but what's great about this park is right next door on the edge of this San Rafael Swell is is a series of slot canyons and roads that go back there. And 
incredible hikes, which we have done some. Mm-hmm. And, and so that you can add on multiple days of hiking those slot canyons. That's right. Little Wild Horse Canyon and Bell Canyons are right there, very close to Goblin Valley. So those are very fun slot canyons to add on to a trip out there in the middle of nowhere. You know, we had first heard of Goblin Valley back in 2013 when it was on the news. We hadn't yet visited at that point. And uh, what happened was two Boy Scout leaders who were there with their Boy Scout troop, they filmed themselves pushing over one of these goblin formations. And let me just say a goblin formation that was 170 million years old. Yeah, you didn't like that, did you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it is so outrageous. So these idiots pushed over a goblin. And I've seen the YouTube video. They were laughing and high-fiving. Anyway, they filmed themselves. They posted this video on YouTube. And of course, the outrage was swift and furious as it should have been. So these guys were sentenced to a year of probation, a huge fine. And needless to say, they are no longer Boy Scout leaders. Yeah, so it, it's good not to touch the rocks when you're out there. They're fairly delicate, and uh, they've been there for 100 million years. So Yeah, and let's hope they can stay for another 100 million years so people can walk amongst them and enjoy them. Every time we're in that area, maybe uh, visiting Capitol Reef National Park or in the Hanksville area driving through, we always go up there because it's fun even if you just go in – stay for an hour and hike through the goblins. It's it's just a fun thing to do whenever you're in the area. It is. We have about a billion pictures of Goblin Valley State Park. And I they just, all look the same. I know. I can't help myself. It is so cute. It's darling. It's, it's a darling high place. on the darling scale. <laughs> all right. So moving on to Nevada, let's talk about Valley of Fire State Park. Valley of Fire. Now, we did an entire episode, I think, Outdoorsy in Vegas, of Mm -hmm. all the kind of outdoor things you could do in and around the Las Vegas area. And this is one of them. It's about 45 to 60-minute drive northeast of Vegas, depending on on traffic, about 46,000 acres. Incredible park. Has lots of great hikes. Good for looking for petroglyphs. There's several areas in the park that have great petroglyphs. And it has one of the more interesting hikes, hike destinations in the Southwest, which is the Fire Wave. Now, the Fire Wave looks a little similar to the more famous wave that's in uh, northern Arizona. It has the same kind of curving rock and the same stripes. It's easier to get to and you don't need a permit. The whole hike to the Fire Wave and back is only about one and a half miles round trip. And it's beautiful out there. It's a beautiful hike. It's an interesting destination. Just a word of caution. It is all out in the open. And that area obviously can get very warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were there in February, and it was even kind of warm when we did that hike. So be super careful. If you're going in the warmer part of the year, 
do it early morning or, or at dusk. Um, you had mentioned that looking for petroglyphs. So there's a couple places where it's easy to see them. One is at Laddle Rock, and there are these. There's a metal staircase that takes you up to this viewing area, which is on the side of this huge slab of rock, and it takes you. The stairs take you up about 50 feet off the ground, and you know. What I can't understand, Matt, is so we climbed the stairs and yeah. looked at them and took a lot of pictures, and it's very cool. But the indigenous people who left those petroglyphs, how in the world would they have been able to draw them on the side of this I know, rock I, I 50 don't, feet up? I don't understand that. And I we can't find anything that explains that because they didn't have the, the metal stairs. I don't know. Maybe they constructed wooden stairs or used ladder. ladders, but there's no there's no other way to get up there, right? And I don't think that the ground was that high, and erosion has caused the the ground to be lower. So yeah, that that is interesting. It is, and the other place that's like a treasure hunt to search for petroglyphs is a place called Mouse's Tank. It's a small canyon about a half mile long. The petroglyphs are on both sides up on the cliff faces. So you walk through and and look for petroglyphs and that was fun. You do have to hunt for them. Mm -hmm, They're they're not Mm -hmm. obvious from the trail. That's right. And you know, another, another attraction of this park is the White Domes Road. And this is one of the most photographed areas of the Southwest. It's about a six-mile scenic drive. And there's there's a couple of spots on the road that just iconic Southwest drive. The road is curvy and it goes up and down and there are all these great rock formations. So I'm sure you've probably seen photos of it online uh, because it is famous. But don't miss driving White Domes Road because it's beautiful. And I think one of the things you were most fascinated with, Matt, were uh, when we went to see those stone cabins along the Arrowhead Trail. Yeah. So there were these stone cabins that people used to stay in. They were built so that people who were taking the Arrowhead Trail from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City or vice versa by car, they would stay in these cabins. But when you think about they were built in 1912. So the Model T, the Ford Model T, came out in 1908. So there were no interstate highways. They Literally, there was a trail from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City that people would drive these cars on. The Model T was only four years old. So you're, you're talking about hobbyists taking their new thing out into the wilderness area for hundreds of miles and staying in these stone cabins. So it's not like our travel today where, mm-hmm. okay, there's a, you know, there's a holiday in and we're going <laughs> to stay there. This is, this is like, we're, we're, you know, driving our new machine across the desert and uh, there's some rock cabins that we can stay in along the way. So I, I think that's fascinating. It is fascinating. So make sure you stop by. There are several stone cabins that are still there. And at that area, you can see portions of the Arrowhead Trail. Yeah. This dirt road still um, still exists, part of it in the park. So that is a great park. Easy to get to from Las Vegas, uh, but definitely plan on a whole day because there is a lot to see there. Okay, our last state park is in Oregon, uh-huh. Smith Rock State Park. <laughs> and yes, it was named after us. Yes, it's <laughs> <I> wish. <laughs> our second Smith named park, uh, entirely coincidental. That's right. Now, this is, it's by the town of Bend. It's really, a, you know, technically it's in the town of Terrebonne, Oregon, up by Redmond. So this is about 35 to 45 minute drive 
north of Bend, and it, it's in this high desert central Oregon area. And these are towers of volcanic ash that rise up into these rock spires. Yeah, it's interesting because this high desert area of central Oregon has these beautiful ponderosa pine forests. And then the Smith Rock State Park is this kind of anomaly. It's tiny. It's only 650 acres. But Yeah, as you said, these spires of rock rise up. It's a little bit like the needles in Custer State Park. And then the charming river runs right through the middle. It's called the Crooked River, and it bends and winds its way through these rock formations. It also is very high on the Darling scale of parks. (laughs) For its size, it probably has the most to do. And and the biggest attraction is it's a world-class rock climbing destination. So we don't don't rock climb, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is cool to go and, and watch other people rock climbing. But it has one of our favorite hikes anywhere. Uh, which is the Misery Ridge and River Trail Loop, which is about three and a half to four miles. It has good elevation gain. It's got a pretty steep thousand foot elevation gain. That's the misery part. <laughs> uh, but the the views on both sides, you're kind of climbing up this ridge of rocks that's right in the middle of the park. And the, the Crooked River being crooked, It runs on both sides of this ridge of rocks. And so you're getting fantastic views of both sides of the park when you do this trail. There was only a small section that was miserable on the Misery Trail. It was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. We love that park. And it seems like... It's sunny there a lot in that section of Oregon. Even we've hiked it a lot in February, right. and it's been a, a warm, sunny day. Yeah, I don't remember ever being cold in, I don't in February doing that. So that is a great park, especially if you're visiting Bend and the surrounding area. Also, tons of great breweries. Tons of great breweries mm-hmm. in the area. One pro tip, the parking gets crowded at Smith Rock State Park early. Yes. And, and when I say early, like... We've been there at 8.30, and there's no parking left. So particularly if it's a good weather day, which in that area of the country is about 300 days of the year, you want to get there early. That's right. So that is it for our state parks today. But we still have a lot of state parks left to explore. Right. And there are other state parks that we've been to that we love Mm -hmm. that we didn't include in this because uh, we're just kind of running out of time. So we'll do some others down the road. That's right. It's interesting because people are very passionate about their state parks. When we have posted on social media about state parks, we get a lot of the same replies from people. And I'm just going to mention a few of these that we have not been to. So if you're in the area, you can check them out because people seem to love them. So there's Palo Duro Canyon State Park in Texas. There's Porcupine Mountains Wilderness State Park in Michigan. Anza Borrego Desert State Park in California. And in Ohio, people love Hocking Hills State Park. So those are a few. Yeah, we're going to have to go to the Porkies. Is that what they're called? Yeah, the port. (laughs) How did you know that? I know know some things that you don't know, Karen. Well, I like it even better now. (laughs) Go to the Porkies in uh, Michigan. Now, one of the parks that was on this list that we didn't talk about today is Dead Horse Point State Park in Utah. And the reason we didn't mention it is because we have plans to be there next month and we have rented a yurt. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully we're going to do a podcast episode from 
from this yurt. If Get the, some yurt feel mm-hmm, to, the, to the podcast. That's right. And we'll do a whole episode on staying in the yurt and on Dead Horse Point State Park, which is another fabulous state park. Yeah, so lots to explore. And one thing when I was looking at state parks, you know what is a state park, Matt, that I didn't know was a state park? No, I, I, I cannot guess what's in your brain. <laughs> Niagara Falls is a state park. Oh, Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. The U.S. side of Ni- Niagara Falls That's is a right. state park. I would love to go there one day. I'd love to see someone go over the falls in a barrel. Do they yeah. still do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they still do that. <laughs> However, they might be able to arrange. <laughs> For I mean, me to go over to Farrell. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. It sounds like you're, you sound pretty interested in that. Uh, no, the only barrels I like are the ones that are full of wine or beer. So <laughs> I think I'll stick with those. So you ride the barrel. <laughs> It's really exciting to us that we have a lot of new listeners to our podcast, and we'd like to thank you all for tuning in. And if you're new, this is the part of the show where I ask listeners to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's interesting is that we were reading that podcasts in the top 1% of all podcasts have at least 590 reviews. So that's our new goal. Currently, we have about 554. So that means we only need about 36 more. And just a reminder, anyone can leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to our show on another podcast app. If you enjoy the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, we think you'll enjoy our Dear Bob and Sue books as well. There are three of them in the series, and you can buy the paperback, the Kindle version, or the audiobook on Amazon.com. And you can also find out more information about the books and about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. If you have a question for our monthly mailbag episode or a suggestion for a future episode, send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobands or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. Every episode, we create show notes, and those have links at the bottom that will give you more information about what we discussed. There's also a link where you can view our photos from the state parks we talked about today. Go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com, click on the Episodes tab in the menu bar, and then click on the title for Episode 30. Our show is produced by the talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. I'm excited to start visiting more state parks. As far as I'm concerned, the only thing missing is a passport book and a stamp for each one. How long do you think it's going to take us to get to 10,000? <laughs> 10,000 state parks. I don't know, but I think we better get on it. <laughs> Thank you.